The following audio is from Morningstar Baptist Church in Dayton, Ohio. For more information about Morningstar, visit MorningstarDayton.org. First, let me just start by saying um, I'm not like a big Ohio State guy. So, like, that was not about Ohio State. I'm not anti-Ohio State. I heard some, like, groans, all right? I'm neutral on the Ohio State front. Um, This is what that was about. That guy, whether you know him or not, he actually works currently for the Tennessee Titans. His name is Kerry Combs. Um, He was the football coach at the high school that I went to for 24 years. Then he was at the University of Cincinnati while I was there. Then he was at Ohio State, and now he is at the Tennessee Titans. But when he was with UC and when he was with Ohio State, he was ranked as one of, if not the best recruiter in the entire country. He would fly all over the country and go to these different, these different ball players and say, come on, come be a part of our team. And that's what he was doing in that. He had a bunch of families together. And he, this is what he told him. He said, we're going to change college football, not just because of how we win games, but the manner in which we win games. We're going to be different. And he said this, what are you waiting for? Come on. What are you waiting for? The invitation is open. What are you waiting for? Come be a part of this. And I thought it was an interesting thing as we, as we dive in to um, our, our message this morning. And as football season's kind of kicking off, I thought it was, a, yeah, some people are excited about football season. I thought it was a great way, and you'll see as it ties together here really soon, to kind of kick things off. Come on. just want to ask that same question. What are you waiting for? You have the opportunity to be on the front end of a life-changing, world-changing movement. What are you waiting for? When I was in college, the University of Cincinnati was some of the time that, that football was the most fun while I was there. We, I was there during the Brian Kelly and the Butch Jones years, and, and those were the years that they went to the Sugar Bowl and the Orange Bowl, and and we went. My family and I went. We traveled to these awesome bowl games. And we got to be a part of, of the team where I was going to college playing against Tim Tebow and his team. And, yes, we got throttled. But it was fun anyway. Right? It was like, yes, go Tim Tebow and my team. I don't know how I do this. Like, I like Tim Tebow, but you're playing. It was weird. Um, it was a weird situation. But 
But let me explain to you my first interaction with the University of Cincinnati football. I walk in as a freshman to this giant school. It's like a city. My classes aren't in different hallways. They're in different buildings, right? This is the first I've experienced this type of thing. And I sit down in a large class, and it's sort of stadium-style seating. And I'm sitting in my class, and like a, a true freshman, right? I got like the binder with the tabs. I'm ready to go. And if you know me at all, like that didn't last past week one, okay? My aunt is here this week, and she's laughing because of the number of times through high school and middle school she had to help me um, figure out how I was going to just get through school. Um, and so, like, it's, it's true. And so I'm sitting there, I got my binder open, and this mountain of a man comes in. He sits down in front of me in my class. He's got long dreadlocks. He leans his head back on my desk, on my binder, and begins to snore. Um, and I'm thinking, I don't know how I'm going to pass this class. Like, we're getting the syllabus, so it wasn't that big of a day, but I'm a freshman in college, kind of freaking out a little bit. But I'll tell you, this was not going to happen. I was not going to ask this man to move, okay? Like, hey, bro, you're on my binder. Your dreads are on my binder. Your dreads are touching my lap. Like, I don't know what to do. He had a football warm-up on, and I had a friend named Mark who was playing um, as a kicker as well. And so I thought, once this dude wakes up, if he even knows that I'm here, if we talk, at least I know where I can go. And so he wakes up, and he's like, man, I'm so sorry, bro. I didn't mean to fall asleep on your desk. I said, do you know Mark? And he was like, "Uh, What? And I'm like, Mark, my friend Mark plays, I see you play for the football team. My friend Mark is a kicker. And he's like, man, he is goofy. And I was like, yeah, Mark's goofy, and he's a kicker. Kickers are goofy. And, and so we had a bunch of guys I played high school with that were playing on this team. And he said, my name's Alex. And I said, hey, Alex, what's going on? He's like, we're going to be friends. I said, whatever you say, dude. Like, <laughs> literally, I'm not going to argue with you. And, um, and Alex ended up shaving his dreads and going to a mohawk because what's more intimidating than taking off your helmet than having dreads while having like a really scary mohawk. So I've got a picture of Alex. I want you to see what he looks. So that's Alex. So yeah, like I wasn't asking that guy to move his head off my desk. And if he said we were going to be friends, we were going to be friends. Alex was 6'4", 276 pounds. His shoes were the size of like two of my shoes put together, and we began to, to schedule our classes at the same time, and we began to be friends, and we worked on all of our, our projects together, and he would come to my house and come to find out Alex grew up in a, in a different kind of family than I did, and he loved my parents. He began to call my mom, Mama Hayes, and uh, he'd say, Mama Hayes, we're going to come work on a project. Can we have dinner? Right? <laughs> yeah, Alex. So my mom would go buy the biggest steak. And the biggest potato when Alex would come over, and I mean, Alex would cut that potato into three pieces and eat it. <laughs> My mom was worried about our dining room table because he'd sit and lean on it, and it would bow in the middle. Alex was scary. One day, Christine came over. She was going to Northern Kentucky University, and Alex was sitting there, and he was like, Hey, girl, you got friends? I was like, oh, please don't take my girlfriend. You know, I was like, oh, man, we're in trouble. Um, 
and, and he, he, he coined a nickname for me, Big Ben, which is very ironic <laughs> because he was twice my size. Now I'm catching up to him in weight um, these days. But, but he ended up going on to play for the New York Giants, then the Cowboys, then the Saints. He left the NFL due to injury. He lives in Columbus now. And weirdly enough, this is a, a side story about how cool God works. I just, Alex and I talked about faith a lot when we were in college. And Alex knew about God, but he didn't really know God. And um, Alex ended up going to this prep facility where you prep for the NFL combine called Ignition. And Ignition is run by a bunch of Christian guys. He said, let's get together, get the very best equipment we can to help guys get ready for the NFL draft bring all the best, but we're also going to share Jesus with them. And crazy enough, Alex comes to know Christ as a part of this program, and the guy who is running Ignition at the time is one of the two guys that's leading our trip to Guatemala. He's with our team in Guatemala. So it's super weird. So his name's Chad. Um, we connected on that immediately um, as we began to talk, but, but it's crazy how God, he called me to, to speak and the hope of the gospel into Alex's life. And he used somebody who I didn't even know, who I now know and call a friend, to continue that conversation. So that's just to say, maybe you're, you're just, you feel like you're constantly talking to somebody about the gospel and you just don't see it happening. I just want you to know from, from this personal experience, one day I get on Facebook and my friend Alex is like, I trusted Jesus as my savior. If you haven't done the same, you should too. Alex, what happened? How was that ignition, man? Like, they just kept telling me the same stuff you were telling me, and finally, like, it just clicked. And so, uh, that's all beside the point. I just want you to, to be encouraged if you're working with a friend that just doesn't seem to be, or a family member. You, you just never know what God's doing in their life and what He has planned for them. But when I came friends with Alex and he began to call me Big Ben, which obviously was an ironic nickname, um, I began to realize, like, I was pretty small. I, was a, I felt very insignificant. We would walk through the, the uh, campus together and everybody would be like, A.D., because his name is Alex Daniels, so they would all call him A.D. They'd say, A.D., what's up? You know, and everybody, would, everybody knew who A.D. was and... If they acknowledged my presence, it was like, what's up, little dude? You know, it was like, not much, man. How are you? I was kind of funny. You know, I knew some of the guys they knew. Used to make fun of how big one guy's head was, and they all thought that was funny. It was my, my big comedic run on the college scene. And, but I found out I was so insignificant. Like, seeing Alex gave me this new perspective on myself and my size. Because I had a younger brother, and even though he's bigger than me, like, we fought a lot. I won most of the time. Like, of my friends, I was the bigger one. But, like, I got into this new pond, and I was so small. And in, in God's Word, we see this story unfold where this guy has this perspective moment that I want to look at this morning. You know, Kerry Combs, the guy that was talking, I was listening to him speak. He's one of the best communicators 
that I've ever heard. And, and although we don't speak on the same things, I think it's important to learn from people that are really good at what they do. And so I was listening to Kerry speak. And he said this. He was talking to his professional defensive backs. He's a defensive back coach. And he was talking to him and he said, in man-to-man coverage, your job is to make sure your receiver doesn't catch the ball. So focus on your receiver. Don't let him catch the ball. On zone coverage, your job is to protect your zone and watch the ball. And if we catch as many balls as they throw to us in zone coverage, we'll lead lead the league in in interceptions. But he said this. If you're looking for the ball in man-to-man coverage and not looking at your man, you'll find the ball in your receiver's hands. And what he's trying to express to his players, like an unhealthy perspective in their craft would lead to them failing at exactly what they were trying to do. Let me say that again. An unhealthy perspective in their craft would lead to an unhealthy result in what they were trying to do. They'd be unsuccessful. And I think we see that here in this story. In Isaiah chapter 6, the Bible says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Isaiah says, In the year King Uzziah died. Now understand, there was a lot to be said about that year. It wasn't just like a good king had died. A good king had died. And the Assyrians were on the rise. Things were not going well for the nation. Okay. So he's marking this year. But this year was marked for him. And this year I saw the Lord. It says this. I saw the Lord seated high. Or seated on a high and lofty throne. And the hem of his robe filled the temple. So he sees God. He gets this different perspective of God. And God is seated high and lifted up. As another, another translation, your translation might say, high and lifted up. But this is a high and lofty throne. Same thing. He's seated the highest. And he's so big and he's so massive and he's so great that just the hem of his garment fills the temple. Like that's how serious this was. God was so massive and so great and so incredible and so impressive that just the hem of his garment fills the temple. And then it says this. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two they covered their face. With two they covered their feet. And with two they flew. So there were these angelic creatures called seraphim, and they had six wings, they're covering their feet, they're covering their face, and they're flying. An impressive thing, no doubt. Like, if I had two wings right now, and I flew up there to the sound booth where Tom was, y'all would be concerned, okay? If I get two more wings and cover my face while I'm flying, y'all would be like, he's flying, and he can't see where he's going, And then if I cover my feet, you're like, now he can't land either. Okay, so like, these guys are flying around, right? And what are they doing? What's the purpose of these impressive creatures? It says, one called to another. 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. Understand the scene that's unfolding and that's being unpacked right here. God is sitting in his throne high and lifted up. He's so impressive that just the hem of his garment fills the temple. And there's these impressive, incredible creatures flying around. And they call back and forth. This is their job. To declare God as holy. Now what does it mean to be holy? A lot of times we think holy means he's free from wrongdoing. But it, it, it's, holy is so much more than that. Holy means God only ever does what's good and right and just. So not just in his undoing, but in his doing, God is right and just. That's their declaration. Holy in everything that he does, he's blameless. Holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord of armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. This whole thing is about him. He's, he only ever does what's good and right and just, and all of this is about him. That's the declaration that's being made over and over and over and over as Isaiah takes in this incredible scene. And it says this, the foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of their voice. And the temple was filled with smoke. These guys are so loud that the foundation of the doors are shaking. This declaration is so strong. It's shaking the room Isaiah's in. Understand this vivid and strong picture that Isaiah is talking about of what he saw. And then there's this like incense smoke. You see it in different ways being translated in different words. We, we don't really have the exact right word for it. It's like not like just smoke off of a fire. It, it's, it speaks to God's holiness and it speaks to his mystery. And Isaiah's standing there in all of this. And how do you respond in a moment like that? In the year King Uzziah died, I stood there and I saw God on his throne. And I saw how great and massive he was. And I heard the creatures he created declare that he was holy. And it shook the doors. Imagine that. And like you and I would have to, Isaiah has to respond. And just like when I was by Alex and looking up at him and everybody was talking to him and I was small and insignificant, here is, here is what Isaiah says. Then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined. He said, man, 
everything that I thought I was and everything that I thought I had, it's, it's rubble, it's destroyed. My whole perspective on life is crushed because I saw God high and lifted up. I saw how incredible he was. I heard that he was holy. And it's ruined me. It's crushed me. Then he says this, I'm a man of unclean lips. God's holy and I'm so not holy. You know, the first thing that he does is he identifies who he is before God. And then he says this, and I live among a people of unclean lips. The people that I'm around, man, they're not, they're not holy either. Why? Here, here's where I think we get messed up, right? Like if you look at the way that you talk, if you look at your Facebook feed, a lot of times I think we do this, right? We're like, man, I'm kind of messed up. But this world is so messed up because people are so much crazier than I am, right? And so we start to use ourselves as the measuring stick for people's crazy for people's sin, for people's messed upness. And like, I'm messed up, but I'm not that messed up, right? Because like, look at this dude. He's way more messed up. But that's not Isaiah. That's not the sentiment that he takes. Understand, he says this, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live a bunch of, amongst a bunch of other people with unclean lips. And he's like this, because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of armies. He said, when I saw God and who he is, when I understood that, when that became my focus, man, it showed me who I was and it showed me who the people that I was around was. The comparison game was no longer to somebody else, to the people that I lived around. The comparison was to this almighty God, and I realized that I'm a mess. And yeah, they're a mess too because I've seen God. I've seen the Lord of armies. Now, I think there's something that's really important to note as we look at this chapter. He says, I saw God. This is where he was. Here's what this chapter does not say. In the year King Uzziah died, God became high and lifted up. There was no change in God's status or position. The only change was in what Isaiah saw. It's very important that we note that. Because the Bible says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Meaning this, you want to know what the throne room of God looks like? It's right here. It's not changed. He's no less holy, and he's no less the king, and he's no less everything that the Bible says he was right here. I just understand that. It's important that we note that moving forward. Isaiah saw who he was. He saw who the people were around him because he had seen God. And then it says this, 
Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this had touched your lips, your iniquity is removed and your sin is atoned for. Understand this. Isaiah identified who God was and who he was. And his cleansing came on no merit or effort of his own. It's important that we note that. He didn't put anything on the altar. He didn't bring anything to offer. He was cleansed by what was placed on the altar. This live coal touched his lips and he was cleansed. The ceremony of cleansing to signify the spiritual cleansing that had happened. So you've been cleansed. You've been made whole. And we're kind of clicking through this story. We're going to make it all make sense for us here in just a minute. He said, this is who God is. This is who I am. This is who the people around me are. And I'm cleansed by no effort of my own. My sin is atoned for. It means it's paid for. Here's what it says, verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking. Could you imagine? The, the doors have already shaken because of the voice of these seraphim. But then the Lord begins to speak. He says this. Who should I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah sat and he began to ponder. Could I do that? Has God given me the tools to do that? It's not what the word of God says, is it? There's no break. There's no pause. There's no pondering. Isaiah's response is, here am I, send me. Isaiah didn't say, wait, who should go where for us? Like, who are you, like, where are you looking to send said person, right? Like, it's kind of funny sometimes when you, when you meet up with somebody and you think, like, hey, they'd be a great fit for this ministry. And they've been kind of talking about wanting to do stuff. And so you sit down with them and you're like, hey, so um, we're looking for somebody to, let's just say, for example, we're looking for somebody to mop the kitchen floor every six weeks. It's like, okay, so this person that you're looking for, does it matter what time of the day they'd come? Like, it's only you and them in the room, right? So, like, it should be pretty obvious that you're not just, like, having this meeting to brainstorm who that person might be. But they ask all these questions without acknowledging that they have the ability to mop the kitchen floor. And that's just a silly example. And that's what I think we do with God sometimes. We're like, dear Lord, I surrender to reach my neighborhood for Jesus. This neighborhood where I live right now, the one that I got the house in that I like, and I, and I surrender to reach my coworkers for Christ at the job that I'm at. And Lord, if you, 
where you're like, you'd hate your job. You're like, Lord, if you'll give me that other job, I surrender to reach my coworkers for Jesus. Right? Like, Lord, we want to give our kids lives to you that they would grow up here in Dayton and they would serve you here in Dayton. And, oh, Lord, that they would, they would be great forces to change this community with the gospel. <laughs> and, and sometimes I just wonder if God's like, yeah, except for that I want to send them to Africa. <laughs> like, it's not really about Dayton for me. Like, that's not my plan for Dayton. Like, and so we're willing to surrender, but we got to put our prerequisites on it first. So like, what's the difference between getting to this place where like Isaiah, where he's just like, here am I, send me. Because then God goes on to explain, here's what you're going to go say to the people. And it's something that's really harsh and they're going to really hate hearing and they're not going to listen to you. Wait, so wait, Lord, you're telling me what you're calling me to do is hard to say and the people that I say it to are really going to hate it and they're not going to listen to me. Yep. Can I back out or how's that work? You know, like what's the return policy? Um, no, Isaiah goes on to be faithful and do this. But what's the difference between our Western surrender to Jesus and this real, authentic surrender to God? Whatever it is that you want from me, here am I, send me. I trust that you're going to equip me. I trust that you're going to give me what I need. I trust that if this is the place you have for me. But Lord, I trust that if you have me in a place right now, this is the place I'm supposed to go. Like no excuses, no conversation, no questions. Like what makes a person say this? Because I think at some point in our Christian life, like we've all been in the place where like, yeah, I'll do whatever God wants me to do. But have we ever been at the place where we're really like, whatever God wants me to do, I'll do it without hesitation. I'm all in. I'm all about it. I think most of us haven't. And I think what's missing I believe wholeheartedly what's missing is what Isaiah said. He said, here am I, send me. There's a whole bunch of people around me who are a mess. In fact, I'm a mess. And I've received this great and glorious hope. But all of it comes back to there was a moment when I realized how incredible and awesome my God was and how insignificant that made me without him. Like the other day I was working on our deck and I've been trying to repair our deck. When we bought the house, the back corner of the deck was falling down. Penelope's got this new thing where she really just wants to help with stuff. And you don't want to discourage that as a parent, right? Like, you're like, all right, P, come on out. Well, what are you doing, Daddy? Like, I'm screwing boards into the deck. Well, can I help? Sure. So what does she do? Any man that's used the tool knows what's getting ready to happen. She's stripping the head out of the screw that I'm getting ready to put in. That's what she's going to do. 
She's not going to put enough pressure. It's going to freak her out. All she's going to do is make it to where I've got to go get a pair of pliers and get the stupid screw out. Same tool, the drill that I've been using the whole day. And the drill in the hands of a four-year-old. You know what happened? You know what I realized? If I put that pressure on for her and I held the battery, she could hold the trigger and we could spend some time together. And there's going to come a moment where she's going to know how to pick up a drill and run a screw in without me. She's going to know how to put pressure on it. She's going to know how to do it because we spent that moment together. She was willing. No, she didn't have the tools, the knowledge, but she had just willingness. Super funny. Like I've been listening to different communicators a lot um, because I've got a communication background. That's my background. Before pastoring was in my background, communication was in my background. And Kerry Combs is one of the person I began to listen to and because his, his energy and ability to communicate clearly is phenomenal to me. And he was talking on a radio station about the Tennessee Titans, these professional athletes. What do you look for in a defensive back? And he said this, the Tennessee Titan football coach, football coaching staff looks for this when it comes when it comes to all of our players. Fearless confidence. Like we can work around some of the other stuff, but the guy who's willing to go get his head completely cleaned off by another player, get up and do it again with the same intensity and confidence, that's what we look for because you can't teach that. What, what breeds fearless confidence? It's a trust in the skills that they have. And you know what I think? You know what I believe God is looking for here at Morningstar Baptist Church? When it comes to being effective parents, effective co-workers, but effective people doing what God has called us to do, Fearless confidence, but not in your skill set and not in your abilities. In the God that has called you to do what he's called you to do. If you watch that entire interview that I showed a clip of where Carrie is inviting these students to be a part of the Ohio State University. And no, I don't know why they say the, I guess, because duh, Ohio State University would sound weird. I don't know. Duh, Ohio State, I don't know. I have no idea. But here, here's the point. He said, we only recruit the top 25 players in the nation. That's what we recruit. We're gonna change the way college football is played. And I want to invite you to be a part of it. 
we know looking back at that that he was right. They really did change the game. But check this out. I can turn to the back of this book and say the God that is calling you to reach your neighbors, your family for Christ, your community for Christ, that's maybe calling you to make an uncomfortable step across the street or around the world. I have no idea. But that same God, I can say for 100% confidence, is going to set this whole thing right. That he gets the win. And what he's inviting you to has a 100% success rate. So the question is this, are you willing to say whatever it is you've called me to, God? It doesn't matter if you're 8 or you're 88. If you're here, God has called you to something. The question is, are you willing to be obedient have you ever had the moment when you said i see who god is he's holy he only ever does what's good and right and just and he can only allow holy things into his presence and and i don't fit that mold and so you've cried out and you said god you're holy i'm not holy i don't know what i'm supposed to do about it and you've heard the good news that that god brought something and he placed it on the altar to take your place. That Jesus came to atone for your sin, to pay for your sin freely. That, yeah, you didn't match up to God's standards, and God knew that. You knew there's nothing you could do to match up to his standards, and so he would enter the situation and make it right. And the Bible says this. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ. In your 2019, I saw God moment is just this. I saw God in that we were so far different that I had to trust him to make it all right. And maybe you need to start your relationship with Jesus this morning. But maybe, just maybe, you forgot how massive and incredible and powerful and holy God was. And because you forgot that, you begin to think pretty highly of yourself. And you begin to weigh what God has called you to do against what's comfortable for your life. And you've rendered yourself ineffective due to an incorrect perspective. You're no longer focused on him. You're focused on you, your wants, and your needs. I don't want to surrender my kids to Christ because I want them to be close to me. Do you really trust that God has their best interest? And he could love them and take care of them better than you could take care of them? Yeah, but... 
No, you either do or you don't. I, I, I don't want to talk to my coworkers about Jesus because they're going to think about me different. Then they won't treat me the same at work and, and it's all going to go sideways. But that's what God's called you to do. Do you really trust that he's able to accomplish what he's called you to do? Understand this. He knew when you came out on the deck and said, I'm willing, that you didn't have the pressure or the power to drive the screw in that he needed to drove in. And he says, I'll apply the pressure and I'll apply the power. Pull the trigger. But I can't. I'm not strong enough. He said, no, listen, I know. That's what I'm doing right here. Pull the trigger. I can't. It's too far away. It's too difficult. They might say no. No, you don't understand. I'm doing the work. All I'm doing is asking you to be willing and let me work through you. Are you willing to surrender to what God has called you to do? Everybody bow their head, close their eyes. Our musicians are going to come forward and we're going to sing a verse of, of invitation here in just a minute. But I want to ask you to just take a moment of reflection. First and foremost, has there ever been a moment in your life where you said, I don't have what it takes, but Jesus does, and so I'm going to trust him. Have you ever had that moment in your life? If you haven't, it's really easy, and I would love to walk you through what it means to trust Christ as your personal Savior. We've got a couple other counselors that are here and available that would love to talk with you about what it means to know Jesus. They'd love to share Jesus with you. But maybe you've known Jesus for a long time. And maybe life has become to be all about you, your situation. You're like, you don't understand. The good king in my life just died. It seems like I'm going into captivity. And we've lost sight of God and we begin to focus on us. And you need to just make a declaration this morning that no matter what it is, here am I, send me. That whether it's my neighbors across the street, my coworker across the hall, or somebody across an ocean, whatever it is God calls me to do, I'm going to be obedient. And you can do that in your seat. You can pray, talk to God there. You can stand and sing and make a declaration. Or you can come down here to an old-fashioned altar and you can pray and say, God, I'm laying it before you. I give it up. I surrender. I understand that my control is no more than an illusion, that it's not about me. It's all about you. And I'm going to trust you with my life. I don't know what it is that God's called you to do. But I know he's called you to something. And I know even in this moment, each and every one of us are called to respond to God's word in some way or another. So let me encourage you. 
be obedient. He'll give you what you need. He already has. He won't leave you out to dry. He's there. He's called you to do great things. You just have to trust him. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you for who you are. We praise you that in this moment that you are high and lifted up. Above all my problems, above all my circumstance, above all my insecurities, above all my anxieties, you are Lord. Above my enemies, you are Lord. We declare that in this place this morning. Lord, we praise you for showing us that you win. So from the victory, Lord, not for the victory, but from the victory, I declare that no matter what you call me to, I'll be obedient. Because I know that you're victorious. Because I know that you're trustworthy. Because I know that you're holy. Lord, for each and every person that's here, Lord, we ask that you would call them to be obedient in whatever way you've called them to be obedient this morning. Maybe they need to come and they need to get on their knees and they need to go before you. Maybe they need to stand and they need to sing at the top of their lungs. Maybe they need to bow their head in silence and pray. Maybe they need to grab their spouse or their kids or whatever it is that you've called them to do. Lord, help them to be obedient in this moment to follow you even now to take a first small step of obedience that would lead to a larger step of obedience, Lord. And for the one or two or three that are here that do not know you as their Savior, give them the courage to come and talk with somebody. That they could experience the glorious hope found only in you. Lord, we love you. We praise you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. If you would stand and sing with us this morning. Do Thank you for listening to today's message. If you have any questions about Morningstar Baptist Church or today's message, visit MorningstarDayton.org and choose Contact Us.